So it's the 26th night of Ramadan. Hope it's been going well for you. Here in the UK, we're fasting from 3 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. So that's about 18 and a half hours. And it's getting a couple of minutes longer every day. Having said that, it is easier than it would be outside of Ramadan. I think that's a universal experience for anybody who's fasting Ramadan and anybody who's tried to fast outside of Ramadan. And it does feel sad, actually, that we're coming to the end of this blessed month. Wherever you are, I hope you're making the most of it. A few more days to go, final push, and then we can celebrate. So, on to today's episode, which is the next in the Insights series. And the Insights series is where I sit down with Elias Kamani, who is a subject matter expert when it comes to relationships in the Muslim community and discuss a particular topic. Now I know a lot of you are expecting this episode to be a story from uh, my time being married or getting divorced etc. I just don't have the energy or focus um, to do that whilst also fasting. So forgive me on that account but you are going to enjoy this episode. So our focus today is mental health. Now, no doubt you'll be reading a lot about mental health, um, a lot more than perhaps we're used to, and that is only a good thing. It's something that is being taken more and more seriously and is not being swept under the carpet. Having said that, it's nowhere near well understood enough, especially when it comes to how it impacts upon our relationships. So in this episode, Elias talks about uh, well, he talks about a whole plethora of topics, as usual, under the umbrella of mental health. He talks about the, the lack of disclosure when it comes to people who have suffered when getting married and the impact that can have. He talks about mental mental health issues arising when people are together and they are under the stresses and strains of being uh, together. He also talks about uh, a lot of the misnomers. He talks about uh, the myth of uh, having anger issues for men. He talks about personality disorders. He talks about the difference between emotional stability um, or emotional issues and mental health problems. So really a lot to get uh, your teeth into. I hope you get a lot out of it. If you do enjoy it, do make sure you share it with somebody you think might benefit. Anyway, let's get to the episode. Here he is, Elias Karmani. Check it out. Getting together with somebody should be one of the happiest moments in your life. So why are we talking about mental health? Okay, Imran, Salaam alaikum. Walaikum uh, Why are we talking about mental health is exactly because nobody talks about mental health. Yeah, but why in this context? Because, you know, people are getting together, people are happy, they're arranging their weddings. Yeah. Um, you know, they've reached the pinnacle, if you like. Okay. And now this is a bit of a downer. Why do we need to talk okay, about well, mental I, health? I think, I think there are three elements. The first is this. One of the things we don't realize is that relationships are probably going to be the most strained in terms of our emotional well-being and mental health. And, and it's up there in the top three things in terms of what actually affects our mental health well-being, our relationship issues, whether you're male or female. 
and link to that issues around dealing with families, dealing with in-laws, dealing with parents, dealing with children, dealing with the issues of day-to-day -day marriage after the honeymoon period, after the, you know, the novelty is worn off, the buzz is gone, the excitement perhaps isn't there anymore, you know, dealing with the day-to-day -day reality of marriage uh, and relationships does put a strain on our emotional well-being, on our mental health, and is a main factor in causing mental health problems. And in 30 years of counseling work, what I've found is that whether it's males or females, then you know this is a key factor. So that's the first thing. And if we're talking about it now, people can be proactive. People can identify what are called fault lines. They can understand their own vulnerabilities. They can understand their predisposition towards emotional well-being issues and that they can do something about it uh, rather than just let things build up to a point where they become a crisis uh, and then it comes to a point where a marriage breaks down or it becomes toxic and you know the toxicity in a lot of the divorce issues that we deal with I would say 80% of relationship counsellors out there are dealing with emotional well-being and mental health issues. What is, what is, sorry, what is, what is the difference? The difference is emotional well-being is just our sense of how we feel positively about ourselves, the balance in our emotional mood state, uh, you know, how uh, positive we feel about ourselves. Mental health then moves into the area where this is linked to particular disorders and particular uh, kind of uh, mental health problems, whether it be depression, whether it be personality disorder. So when it comes to your emotional health, I then... I then think what you're saying is that, that these are things that we can potentially have some control over. Of so, course, of course. So through, you know, through sleeping properly, eating properly, exercising properly, those kind of things, Absolutely. they give us the best chance to actually feel good about ourselves. Whereas the mental health issues are potentially things which we are not really in control of. No, we are, we are in control. We're in control of our mental health uh, in the same way we're in control of our physical health. That's the whole thing. It requires just a different approach to treatment and towards kind of addressing the kind of issues linked to our mental health. And obviously identifying what are called root causes. You know, if we find that there are, is there a particular factor that is causing our emotional well-being to be disrupted that results in a mental health problem, that can be addressed by addressing what are called root causes. So in this conversation, I think I want to explore first the fact that we are, if we go into a relationship thinking exactly what you're thinking, everything will be hunky-dory. There won't be challenges, there won't be difficulties. Uh, and that there won't be a strain on our emotional well-being that could potentially lead to mental health problems, then we go in blinkered. And that in itself creates a greater risk of emotional okay, problems and mental health problems. That's the, that's the first thing. And... The second point is that I just want everyone to accept that there will be emotional challenges in relationships. It happened even with the Prophet ﷺ. In the sixth year of the Makkah period, it's called Am al -Huzn. It's called the year of sadness. Why? Because he lost his partner, his life partner, Khadija anha. And losing that tower of strength and companionship for him had an impact in terms of you know, his emotional well-being. And the Prophet ﷺ was able to overcome this with resilience. That's why this is known as Amal Huzn, the year of sadness and grief, where the Prophet the Prophet ﷺ was down, you know, and was able to overcome this and move forward from this. So we will have these emotional well-being challenges. The second, another element of that I want to explore is this. 
that we don't actually realize in the vetting process or in the getting to know each other process that sometimes no one is ever going to disclose that I have a mental health problem. But should but, they? Yes, they should. Absolutely. It's critical that they disclose it. It's not a deal breaker, you see, Imran. That's the whole thing. Insecurity would be, oh, I'm not going to tell them. And I, I, you know this, obviously, because of the stigma around mental health, which is out there, which is a cultural stigma, you know, people will always say this to me. Don't tell them. Don't let them know. People do not want to disclose information which is private to them that they think will be a deal breaker. And look, a, an individual has a right to know that you have some challenging emotional well-being issues. Okay, okay, we just stop. So, 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 so hang on, we'll just, so when you say it's not a deal breaker, well, clearly the, some people in the community think it is, which means that there must be some basis to it that they feel that if they do disclose certain things that it's going to risk a union, right? And they don't want that to happen. I'm not saying that's correct, but it is a deal breaker for, for some for, for some, some people, people. it will be a deal breaker, and that's probably a positive thing. Because when you have a disclosure of vitally, critically uh, important information, which will have a significant impact on the relationship and the health of the relationship, then an individual, a mature adult, therefore then decides, I don't want to embark upon this relationship because I don't feel I have the skills or the ability to deal with these issues, which is, again, not to be frowned upon, which is just a reality. Many people are not equipped to deal with individuals who might have, let's say, a disposition towards serious mental illness or have had mental episodes of mental health problems beforehand, then yes, it's probably better because if you want to make sure, because what's, what's worse, Imran, tell me, that I go into a relationship having had mental health problems beforehand, go into then a challenging situation which then actually affects my emotional well-being, which then results in me having a relapse of my emotional problems, which then is not supported by my partner, which creates a toxic relationship, which compounds the issue even more and causes even more detriment to my mental health. And look, this is what is bizarre. As I said, the Prophet spoke about mental health issues. The One of the what we call the maqasid of the sharia is what we call hifz al-aql which means the protection of the mental state. So therefore, what it actually states, what it means therefore, the purpose of a marriage is actually to nurture a positive sense of emotional well-being and mental health. If the marriage itself causes a detriment to the mental health of either party, and this is sustained, and the causal factor is the relationship, they need to exit from the relationship, because they are not preserving their mental state. And therefore, for a female, she will be awarded a khul because it's affecting her mental state. And for the male, if his mental health state, then he has a right to talaq. A khul is, 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 is a dissolution of the marriage, which is then instigated by the, the wife, the female party. Okay, let me give you an alternative way that this is approached. And I don't think this is anything new to you. So mm. two people get together, one of them is has suffered from mental health problems yes um they're advised not to disclose this okay and it's actually not done in a way which is uh, meant to be underhand what it is is classic sweeping under the carpet absolutely it's a case of well look it's happened it's not going to happen again and by being married you're going to have support and it's going to be better and easier to deal with those things so there's no point looking back. Let's just look forwards and hope for the best. Okay. 
That's what people. That is what exactly what people do. Isn't what it? you've described, Imran, is absolutely spot on. That's what people do. Lay people do. That's not what practitioners do. That's not what qualified people do. That's not what people with experience and wisdom do. Because people with experience and wisdom will realize no. That there are fault lines with this individual that will be compounded and exacerbated by the relationship which will actually lead to greater problems in the future. The only place I suppose that I might, let's say, uh, qualify that approach is where an individual really has recognizes that there are some challenging emotional well-being issues. They don't want to disclose it, but then they put in place a safety net, a support mechanism, which will enable that individual to be supported through the process. So that's the only way that perhaps the only time I might qualify it. But again, this is down to our culturally constructed stigma around mental health that people are bagel, majnoon, crazy, psycho, nuts, schizo, etc., etc., which then creates the overall kind of you know situation where people say, Don't tell them, don't tell them. And look, everyone is going to be unique in their threshold. Some people, certainly if you had a, a repeated episodes of serious mental health problems in the past, which has resulted in, let's say, some kind of medical treatments and counseling, so therapeutic approaches, then I think this is a case where, you know, you should take a mature approach to this. All of us as human beings at some point in our life will have emotional well-being issues. That's, that's a fact. And, you know, for us, if you're going to take, a, again, a mature approach, then what you do is then recognize that, do I have the support mechanism in place to deal with me as I go through this process? One of the areas I found quite concerning is the fact that a lot of my cases now I have, especially women reporting problems in men, they're talking about personality disorders. And they're talking about the inability of men, lacking often emotional intelligence, lacking empathy as well, to be able to actually nurture the emotional well-being of their partner. So as a result of their personality disorder, whether it's, and, and, the, and the most often cited one is narcissistic personality disorder. Individuals who can only see the world from their own perspective. They are completely impervious to seeing the world from someone else's perspective. They have a constant sense of victimhood themselves where they feel that the whole world is against them, that they feel that they are profoundly misunderstood. They are profoundly self-serving, and, and, and this goes on. You know. Do, do you know a lot of people listening to this will be thinking about their partners right now? And, and that's one of the things I say, don't self-diagnose here. <laughs> no, a, a lot of females will call me and say, my partner has narcissistic personality disorder, and generally I dismiss <laughs> it straight away. They might have what I call some narcissistic traits. Uh, but, you know, let's have a proper formal diagnosis of it rather than someone just jumping onto Google and saying that, oh, that a personality disorder. Because that in itself, it can be stigmatizing, that in itself can be polarizing, that in itself, if anything, can create even more problems. But it's because of the personality disorder in the male that this causes emotional well-being and mental health problems in the female. Because she feels as a result of that, that she is has a partner who doesn't support her emotional well-being is not supportive towards her is not empathetic towards her and the most common symptoms that i find then is depressive symptoms in the female in the, in the wife because of the personality disorder of the husband so now the point i'm saying here is this who's done the assessment pre-marriage around these particular issues so therefore at least you know what you're dealing with now one of the 
pre-marriage assessments that I do is just an online personality test. And there are a couple of really good ones out there. One of them is called 16 Personalities. 16 Personalities has been actually a, uh, completed by 178 million people around the world. Okay, wow. so it's a good tool, and I think it's a very good tool. And what I find is a really interesting tool is when both before the marriage, you know, the prospective bride and groom do the personality test together. And look, you're not trying to fool the test, you're trying to be honest. You want an honest assessment of it. It's a bit like a Myers Briggs personal inventory, it tells you what kind of personality you have, what kind of outlook you have, what kind of skills you have. And that allows you again then to do a mixing and matching of each other. So what you can do then is say you go through the personality test and it will tell you the level of compatibility that you have. What's it called with, again? It's called 16 personalities. You get it online. Yeah, and you can get it online. And I'm not pushing one test or another, but generally I find that is a very, very effective tool. Okay. And people, it can be really interesting, good talking point as well, as people find out how compatible they are with me. But also it can be something which can easily identify what I call a fault line because when we have two tests which are significantly different then what we need to do is then identify again it's not an immediate deal breaker but what it will do is that now as a couple work out how we're going to manage this relationship better either way it has got to be managed better as I read let's go to some of our core principles that we spoke about in another podcast that the purpose of marriage azwaj that you are complementary opposites to live in tranquility with one another. The sakina, the peace part in itself indicates what? Emotional well-being, holistic well-being, at peace with one another, mind, body, and soul. That's only gonna happen if you actually have a level of personality compatibility. So going back onto what I call the concept of the personality disorders, yeah, I have a lot of people talking about the fact that people have multiple personality disorders. They have, uh, again, another issue would be uh, so often cited that individuals will say to me, I have a anger management problem. I am aggressive and that I respond in an aggressive way. I'm not able to control my anger. It's actually not an anger problem, it's a thinking problem and it's a personality construct. Let me give you an example. An individual in a scenario will show an aggressive response to an individual and they'll say three things. I can't control myself, I've got an anger problem, they made me do it. Three classic responses in the situation. And, and what I always reply to them is no. You haven't got a anger problem that someone else has made you do, that you're absolving responsibility and shifting onto others. No, you have a personality problem because your personality has been constructed in such a way that you respond with an aggressive response in a particular scenario and situation, socially programmed. The proof of that is something I call the Mike Tyson effect. The Mike Tyson effect for those people who were of my era was that Mike Tyson was the heavyweight champion of the world. The alpha male. And, now, if, for example, you feel yourself getting a bit agitated and uh, Mike Tyson is stood next to you, will you punch Mike Tyson? Probably, probably not. No. So suddenly, what happened to your anger problem? Your anger problem didn't become an anger problem, but you've got control of your anger. Will you say, Mike Tyson made me do it? No, you won't. You'll say, yes, sir. Okay. Thirdly, you know, you'll say, I haven't got control. You have got control. So what is it? It's a construct thinking problem it's not an anger problem and that comes down to the fact that 
in order to realize every single one of us is profoundly unique in the interplay of mind, body and soul and the construct of who we are as people throughout our whole lives. No two people will ever, ever be the same. And it's in that construct of that personality that in, in the sense of self, unless we actually are aware of that and build some compatibility with our partner, then we're actually you know, creating a real challenging situation. The more oblivious you are of, of, of the interplay of those factors, then the more you go in completely blinking. So let, let, me, let me try and get my head around this. So when you were speaking then, I, I immediately thought of um, being in a class at high school in West London. And I remember my, my form tutor, Mr. DeRodi, I even remember his name, really mm. cool guy. Okay. And um, he said to us, and this was, my school was like a mix, you know, a um, mix of Jamaican lads, Asian, white. And he said, he looked at all of us, he said to the boys in the room, it must have been about 13, 14. He said, one in five of you will probably grow up and hit their partner according to statistics one in three actually is it one in three, one He's, in three. he said one in five at okay. the time right yeah and that shocked me yeah because then I, I i knew i looked around and i thought well there's about 20 of us right so four of us i thought are going to end up doing this and i thought how does that happen and the reason i thought of that when you were speaking was because um yeah this mike tyson effect if you grew up seeing violence perpetrated against women in it's your, your family it's your construct then that becomes your construct and that forms part of your personality is that and, right yeah and look no it becomes learned behavior that you've imprinted right. and look if you grew up one third of our children grow up in houses where there's domestic violence that's a global reality that means that you become programmed into domestic violence this is we're going to do a podcast on this another day on domestic okay. violence where we go through this in much more detail as i, I run programs for perpetrators of domestic violence and so if you are brought up in a house where you've seen this behavior, you've imprinted this behavior from a primary role model, your father often, or the powerful male in the family, that this is how you construct yourself, whether it's physical aggression or emotional abuse. And the emotional scars are as detrimental as the physical scars, if not more, because emotional stay your whole life. Uh, and you do not break that cycle of behavior and unlearn that behavior, deconstruct it and learn a much more positive way to deal with those same scenarios, then it's no surprise to me whatsoever that you go on to repeat that behavior. No, I'm not shocked. I'm really not shocked. And I can't see how anyone else can be shocked because that's just the reality of it. And then someone will say, no, I grew up with it and I did break that behavior. Yes, brilliant, mashallah. You know why? Because you act actively had some kind of intervention in your life, which gave you a new paradigm. A new construct okay so what you will to deconstruct that behavior and reconstruct a more positive way of dealing with that situation you know so the point here is this is all about the construct of our, our mm. own personalities now you know one of the most amazing things which is emerging now is something called aces okay adverse childhood experiences they're saying that between zero and four years of age a child actually goes through the most significant social emotional stroke psychological and cognitive development in their whole life zero to four zero to four that's when the whole development is taking place uh, and it's the biggest leap in terms of their development in the whole of the rest of their lives what they're identifying is that children who have what we call adverse childhood experiences we used to call this child trauma but now we're calling it aces and this is research out of america that when they have compounded adverse experiences now let me give you examples a house where there's domestic violence 
a house where there's poverty, a house where there's mental health, substance abuse, and a, a house which is in constant flux, a house you know having to, for example, uh, become homeless, a house where there is substance abuse issues, and this goes on in terms of what the the adverse childhood experiences are. Where a child, for example, experiences four to six of these, yeah, this will have a lifelong detrimental effect on that child unless we identify it and reconstruct it. So that's the thing. Personality construction, emotional well-being, the whole construct is happening zero to four. Then there's another aspect of ACEs as well. What they're identifying is that a lack of secure parental attachment, maternal and paternal, in those years then creates vulnerabilities later on in adulthood. So you go into a relationship, and relationships are about attachment. Has anyone done the thinking around secure attachment? So when we have men, for example, who feel profoundly, have never had maternal love, and I've had cases like this, they are lacking maternal love. From maternal love, guess what? We learn what are characterized as female characteristics, such as compassion, raham, such as empathy, such as listen, active listening skills, such as uh, tenderness, such as being attentive, such as being nurturing. Mm -hmm. These are really good masculine qualities, by the way. We learn them from having secure attachments to our mothers. Mm -hmm. And, and and to our fathers to an extent as well, who also play that same role. And uh, if I have never had a secure attachment to build that, this is what the research on ACEs is telling us in terms of emotional development, then how do I learn how to be emotionally supportive and caring in a relationship? I never had secure attachment myself. Now you're thinking, yeah, so you're going over the top here in terms of trying to analyze these variables because surely is it is it is relation are relationships this difficult? And I'm telling you, yes, they are. The point I began this discussion with is this: the most one of the most difficult and challenging areas in our lives are our relationships. They test us to beyond boundaries that we will experience, and they will create vulnerabilities and, and fault lines in us that will affect mental health for men and for women but men don't talk and now i'm going to bring another element of it my research and my phd on masculinity one of the things about masculinity is what men don't talk about their mental health so now you're dealing with a partner who goes through all of this stuff in their life and will never talk about it and will keep it bottled in and men are resistant to come to counseling relationship counseling they don't want to be held to account. They will deal with it, and that's why the main cause of death from 18 to 35 for males in industrialized countries is suicide, and it's going up. That might not be in the Muslim space because suicide is haram, but you're going through the same stuff. You just manifest it into something else. Guess what it could be? Violence. Domestic violence. Addiction. Okay, depression. Mental health. Long-term mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you have been taught to go through the emotional pain barrier. And you have not learned emotional intelligence, which is about being aware of your emotions, managing and moderating your own emotions, reading the emotions of others, and nurturing positive well-being in others. That's EIQ, emotional intelligence. We might judge. Let's, say, let's go to a nice, interesting scenario. Putter's got a degree. Putter's got a degree. A cheat job, buddy, a cheat job. 
Nice job. Do you want to, do you want to translate? Yes. Yeah, nice job. Good degree. <laughs> so IQ, good. IQ is good. Yeah, Ac- academics are on point. Academic on degree. We, Two as, degree. As, as we all know, academics on point maketh the happy relationship. Yeah. Well, no, that person didn't take into account something else. EIQ, emotional intelligence. Can you imagine talking to our parents' generation about this stuff? They'd look like us, look at us like we're crazy. I know, but they're the ones who are crazy. Let me tell you why. Because what is it that facilitates success in a relationship? Uh, academic intelligence or emotional intelligence? Tell me, just a lay person, being someone who's emotionally intelligent or someone who's academic, what nurtures the success in a relationship? And yeah, I want cl- to cl- clearly, clearly, I agree, I agree with you. But yeah, but I know. Cool, so, cool. so, so, partners, partners. Yeah. You know, I say to the women all the time: choose a man who cries. You know, not a man who's oh, look at me, I'm tough, hard exterior, macho. You know what? I'm such an alpha. No, you're not an alpha. An alpha can cry, but manage his own and have resilience and emotions as well. Choose a man who cries, please. You know, choose a man who is able to nurture your emotional state. And it has is has a I always say like I'm putting it in a more poetic way, has a heart like a mountain that can absorb your pain, yeah, and understands your pain and nurtures your pain and will put his heart down as a blanket on the floor for you to walk over so that you are protected from any distress. I know that sounds a bit kind of romantic and poetic. It, it, it does sound yeah, but you know it's about emotional intelligence. So okay, so now we're going and and we see the relationships which are based just purely on that. Quan- quantitative academic intelligence criteria mm. and let's compare it to the success of those relationships okay mm. based on those that are based on an emotional intelligence criteria yeah and you'll see a qualitative and quantitative and you'll see where the success lies but then people say oh but we never assessed it and it did work and yeah it's called by default it happened to work not by design that's the whole thing we're trying to build in the design of these particular just issues. on the design you know, um, you know, as a couple of couple of guys, I think it's fair to say we're middle aged. Okay, probably you, you Fine. more, you more so than me. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but you know, the idea of getting references for somebody, as we spoke about in the last episode, um, and kind of looking at their mental history, right, and then going through a personality test. Okay, you know what makes total sense to me it makes total because i've been married i've been through all of this i've been through all of this you know and i've come out the other side and hopefully the wiser and more experienced for it and therefore the romantic romantic side of relationships is something that i don't pay a lot of heed to and therefore your pragmatic ideas resonate with me but they cannot resonate with young love you know, young Well, pe- this is the thing, head over heart, heart over head, all of this kind of stuff. Heart over head, actually, you're right, creates a recipe for disaster because you will just totally overlook loads of really challenging... It's not issues. getting a job, is it? Huh? It's not, it's not getting a job. You're not getting a job here, although the process seems very similar. You're getting a partner and there's got to be... There's gotta no, be- no, no, but you're right, you're right. You're getting a partner. You're not getting a perception of a partner. If you're getting a partner, that's the whole thing, Zawaj, someone who actually will. Uh, you see, the concept is knowing yourself so that the other person knows you as well, so that you have that perfect 
melding and, and fusion and synergy. Synergy is a very, very important aspect of combining the talents of two people mm -hmm. to become one, yeah? But let's go back to a question I want to ask you, which is this around, obviously, in your situation, how did it affect your emotional well-being, your relationship? And, and the, the, so we've got three things. People come in with baggage. Mm -hmm. The baggage is challenged and sometimes accentuated in the relationship. Third thing, we never seek help. Mm. And so as a result of it, it comes to a point, crisis, it creates toxicity, and it comes to a crisis point which only has an inevitable outcome of becoming uh, a breakdown, uh, divorce, or uh, a, a deeply challenging relationship and violence and abuse. So tell me, mm. uh, first thing, knowing about your own emotional well-being before you got married, yeah, would you? What would you have done differently? God. Well, as I've explained on some of my my episodes, I wasn't really in a state to get married, um, okay. but I'd convinced myself for lots of reasons that that is what needed to happen in order to uh, kind of complete. complete my life. Be complete. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Got to, get it done. got to get it done got to get it done got to get it done it's completes my faith um it's i really had no other options to be honest you know no. i was i was unemployed i just lost a prestigious job well i've been made redundant and a little bit lost and i thought well yeah marriage has always been sold to me as the panacea of life so therefore i'm going to do it and i went away and did it in quite an unhealthy way with with, it, with very little regard for who i was as a person and any of these issues that we are talking about, completely unaware of all of them. I've always considered myself to be, you know, quite a broad, broad, well-read kind of person. Um, and, I, you know, if you'd ask me, do you have personality disorder? Nope. Do you have any mental health issues? No. I, you know, I thought I was, I was a pretty decent package, as a young person tends to, tends to do. Okay. Uh, and then just another element of it then. To what extent did you actually take on board the fact that your life partner might also have some emotional baggage didn't take, didn't and, take in, and, and no. mental health issues. No, I didn't take into consideration at all. I no. was okay. completely focused on finding a pretty woman to get married. And then, the, the, let's just say a scenario therefore involved where you found that your partner, let's just say hypothetically, your partner then starts to show really challenging emotional behavior and mental health problems becomes depressive, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's postnatal depression, mm -hmm. let's just say because mm -hmm. they're having a child uh, and that, you know, you're saying, that, oh God, this partner is, it's, it's hard work. Mm. Uh, or some of the behavior that you're doing is then affecting their emotional well-being and, and creating a real breakdown between yeah. you. Yeah. Were you prepared for that? No, I wasn't prepared for that. And um, it led to one of the, one of the worst things about being in a situation, which is you know, difficult is not really knowing what's going on and who's the cause and who's a per, you know and and who's the victim or what's leading to this kind of behaviour. Um, and if if you are of the opinion, if you are a bit of a narcissist, then it's all, it. It, then it, then it's always the other person's fault. And so let, let's not call it narcissism. Let's call it if I don't have emotional intelligence and I don't have the ability to understand why this is happening. Right. I'm so not going to realise it, it, it. It's not me. It's the other person. Yeah, it's the other person, and it and in my case, uh, well, it, and, and you, there's a thing. 
the world is against me, uh-huh. which makes me against the world, which is different from what I call resilience, which is say, resilience is, it's because of me and it's up to me. Mm-hmm. Islam, Islam is, is, is high on personal resilience. Just these two verses, you know, Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, Inna Allaha la ma hatta ma bi anfusihim. Allah does not change the condition of the person until they change themselves. Mm-hmm. If there's a problem, you say, Kul anfusikum. Say it is from myself. Islam is very high on a strong sense of self and taking personal responsibility, not blaming the world, not going into a victimhood, not feeling sorry for ourselves, but saying it's up to me to actually change, yeah? So, but if I don't have that kind of approach in my personality, I'm deflecting all the time, the problem is on the other. How do you think then that, that affects your partner when you're completely your wife, then when you're deflecting onto her, that the problems are because of you? Well, when I, um, after a while, I realized that by doing that, which I was, yeah. um, that it wasn't making me feel any better. That I, there wasn't any change in the way that I was feeling about myself. Because if I truly believed that, then there was no real reason for me to feel frustrated and angry and all of these negative emotions that I have. But I only realize this now. Right? I know, but Imran, you know, this is interesting. How many men are that emotionally intelligent at that point to actually realize what you just said? They said, actually, you know what? You're right. It's not her, it's me. You see, I, okay, I don't understand why that's, that would be, this is just me, I, I don't understand why it would be a difficult thing for somebody to recognize, because ultimately... Because um, you've been socially programmed to be narcissistic, to see the world only from your own point of view. But why would that stop somebody questioning themselves? Because they don't want to accept personal responsibility that there is baggage I've got to deal with. But what, but what if you know, hang on, but what if you know that by doing that, you put yourself in a better place by resolving it? Well, that's the whole thing. And that's where we want, that's why we're having this conversation, because we're going to say to, what I want to say to people out there, men or women, there is, I, I always say that when I have a client who comes and discloses to me those demons, those problems, those challenges, the abuse, everything, I always say to them, Allah is pleased with you. I commend you, your courage, your honesty, your bravery. Because what you've done is that you've done the, the, the biggest step towards change, disclosed and taken responsibility and wanting to change, which is a minority of people. Most people will live in profound delusion and denial and that there is no problem here. It's her. And then they'll even look at a confirmation bias for things to say, yeah, look, your family has depression in you. Things like that. I'll give you just another example. How many of us are even aware if our partner, male or female, is self-harming in a relationship? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hidden, isn't it? Well, this is it. They might not cut themselves. They might not be doing overt things, but there'll be lots of other aspects of the neglect that takes place. Another aspect, <coughs> which is my psychosexual work. How can you possibly expect a couple to have a healthy sex life and intimacy if there are profound emotional challenges between them and either party feels emotionally abused and hurt? How can you possibly have intimacy? It's not an emotional safe place. Well, this is this is <coughs> possibly one or two or three more podcasts, right, with this yeah. particular subject. I'm sure we're going to come sure to intimacy and we're going to do psychosexual and intimacy. But I'm just giving you an idea of how important 
emotional state is. You know, that's what I'm trying to get people to understand today. We can't go through that. No, no, I understand we can't get now, through now, it. No, no, Imran, I literally have couples who have been married and, you know, sometimes 10, 20 years. I've just dealt with this case this week. 30-year marriage that's now ending. All the, the, what, what's the factor? What's the factor? Psychological abuse and neglect. You know, that's it. A man who has been basically emotionally abusing his wife for 30 years. She's finally had enough and she's exited the relationship after 30 years. Another case, marriage I was dealing with, that we married for 10 years. And in 10 years, they haven't had any intimacy. In 10 years. Something going on. There's a problem going on. My other case here, where now I'm dealing with a young married couple, only married a matter of three months, and what's interesting is that he has massive what we call anxiety disorder because there's loads of expectation on him as a young guy, married, going through medical school at the moment, loads of stress on him from family members and, and he, he gets overwhelmed by the stress and his escape is very negative behaviour and, and when it comes to intimacy he can't perform because of performance anxiety mm. it's all emotional, it's all mental health and it comes down, I'm dealing with him on the root cause here, which is the dealing with his stress and his ability to deal with the stress of the relationship. I'm going down to the root causes, dealing with the, the root rather than the symptoms. Most people react to symptoms and never get down to, to, to root causes. In, and I don't think you'll find a relationship counsellor out there who will not identify that emotional well-being, psychological factors and mental health are the key factors that are causing the breakdown in relationships that need to be addressed. Okay, so we need to we need to wrap this one up. Um, when it comes to two people getting together um, and addressing the issue of mental health and their emotional well-being, uh, what are, what do they need to do? What are the practical practical first steps? First, there is no shame around mental health. Sorry, before you before you start, yeah. at what stage? Okay, you as early on as possible. This? As early on, be as proactive as possible. The longer you leave it, the worse it gets. And what do we? I mean, we could early intervention. We talk about early intervention. I know, but, but you know, if somebody has OCD and they wash their hands fifty times a day, yes. Are we talking about this? Yeah, of course. OCD is is a significant issue. Yes. Okay, phobias, OCD, personality disorder, depression, schizophrenia, neurosis. No, uh, I tell you, nobody's getting married. <laughs> nobody's getting no, married. No, 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 no. See, uh, Imran, what I, look, the, the core of my message is this. This is not to create what I call a totally pessimistic mindset, <laughs> and a totally risk-averse mindset. It's just to, be, it's to create awareness so that we know what we're dealing with, so that we can be more proactive in getting the help that we need. And early intervention is the key to solving all of these okay, issues. Sorry, I interrupted you. So yeah. start, you need to get in early. Early, as early on as possible. As I said, do the pre-assessment. Know your fault lines beforehand. Would it be fair to say before an emotional attachment is... is look, look as, as human beings, of course, we have emotional needs. And when we are confronted with another human being, as I said, we always want to present a positive image in ourselves. And we also want to be liked. And when we start having attention from another individual, it's compelling. And that starts to then, you could say, confound our real you could say uh rational approach to dealing with issues and then we become scared as i said we will not disclose things because we realize which are mission critical stuff critical success factor we will not disclose them for fear of losing 
and being rejected and losing the attachment that we we have created yeah and uh, so no like i said early intervention is important being self-aware is important knowing our assessing our own personality type assessing our the level of personality disorder and challenges that we have our emotional intelligence quotient yeah, but, okay i got the okay, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. i understand so, that, so pra practically how is this actually how okay. is it facilitated is this a conversation between two people between the the, the parents who are involved in this is what uh, look, uh, look, Imran, I think the whole ethos of us is that we've actually recognized that there is actually a, a fundamental failure in lots of institutions that are related to Muslim marriage. You don't get this in mosques, you don't get this no. in imams. No. There is such a lack of uh, Muslim centered relationship counselors out there and therapists who can actually provide this support. So there isn't access to these particular issues, and people are. Uh, you said oblivious themselves and not doing the level of diligence that they are so ultimately it's your personal responsibility it's up to you go mm -hmm. and do it yourself look for ways to do it because you want your experience of relationships to be something which nurtures your well-being not causes something which is harmful and detrimental to you as a father of daughters in particular one of the things which causes us probably a lot of anxiety ourselves is the fact that you know we, uh, our daughters are going to go into relationships where they may be emotionally abused and physically abused and that this is going to have an impact on their mental health. This is a real strain. So, you know, for all of us, this is something which we need to take a bit more seriously and we need to be much more aware of. Overcoming the stigma is very important. There's no shame. There is no shame in these talking about this stuff and admitting that we have problems. And, and the key thing is, in a relationship, if you do start having problems, this is my final word on it, in a relationship where you see problems occurring, don't bury them under the carpet. Don't go into denial mode. Don't start thinking about what other people will say about your families. Go and get That's it for this episode. Hope you got something out of it. As I said in the intro, there's only a few more days left of Ramadan, so do make the most of it, especially during the nights, the odd nights. And have a great, great Eid wherever you are. Celebrate and uh, be grateful and look out for one another. Um, there's many people who don't have family and uh, find Eid a difficult time of year so just bear in mind those people in your community and maybe reach out to them with a message or some food or whatever anyway if you have enjoyed the episode as usual I would encourage you to share it via whatsapp or whatever social platform you use in order that we spread the word a little bit and uh, you know, hopefully um, develop healthy relationships which is only a good thing see you next time assalamu alaikum